Welcome to the podcast of MotorWeek, television's original automotive magazine. MotorWeek is made possible by Lucas Oil and TireRack.com. Here's your MotorWeek podcast host, Brian Robinson. Hello, welcome. This is podcast number 287. Uh, no Jay, uh, John Davis today, so my apologies in advance for that. But I uh, appreciate you hanging in there, and where hopefully gonna, we'll make it call worth your J- time. Where are you going to call him, J.D.? J.D., yes. That's, that's how we refer to him around the office. That is correct. J.D. <laughs> JD. Lord of Motor Week. <laughs> uh, as you heard, the excellent voice of uh, Greg Carlos there, he's joining us today, along with Jessica Ray and Alexander Kellum. Or Alex. All right. Or Alex. <laughs> All right. We're keep going yeah. back and forth yeah. now. I'm sorry. I, I, you know, I just thought maybe that was a mis- mistake. It, I thought I should go Alex. Doesn't matter to me. Okay. All right. I just pointed it out to be obnoxious. Well, all right. Since you're there and being obnoxious, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, why don't you jump right in and tell us about the recent Detroit Auto Show back once again? Yeah, yeah. So I got to attend it this year. My first time in Detroit, which was pretty cool. But uh, What from, did you think of the lovely uh, city of Detroit? <laughs> uh, well, there was a giant rubber ducky this year, so that was great. I heard uh, and saw was, nothing but tweets about that yeah. duck. Yeah, yeah. There was that, and there was like a guy in a dinosaur costume walking around. That was pretty cool. And the president was and there. And like so. a no yeah. car. There was like four wheels set up with nothing around it. Yeah, yeah. I saw that too. And the president officially announced the pandemic was over. So that was right, yeah, but everything's back to normal, folks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's the uh, big top story. Yeah, no. Um, so obviously anecdotal on my part, but from everything I've heard, much smaller show this year. Uh, and it, well, it shows, pun intended, I guess, not nearly as much stuff. But there was some neat stuff that we're going to talk about today. So starting off the day and with this podcast with Jeep at a couple things. First was the... Uh, Thank you. 2023 Grand Cherokee 4xE 30th Anniversary Edition. Um, 30 anniversary of Grand Cherokee, obviously, not of 4xE. So, of course, it's using the 4xE system, 375 horses, 470 pound-feet of torque. It's basically that, but with some special trimmings, blacked out, like cladding or uh, 20-inch wheels, badging, etc. Modified front fascia, but again, Grand Cherokee 4xE. It's loaded up with uh, all the good stuff in there. Uh, the package cost is $4,700 on top of the Grand Cherokee 4xE. Orders are going to open up later this year, or maybe they have by the time this podcast comes out, and they'll arrive early 2023. Um, but again, it's pretty much standard fare. It's a mm-hmm. Grand Cherokee 4xE. Package. Y- yeah. yeah, I guess Moving full on. badges. Sort of, Moving on. sort of going along Wait, the same. Go back to it again. <laughs> I'm sorry. You said it was how much? 4500 the the package is going to cost forty seven hundred. Forty seven hundred. Yeah. Specifically, what am I getting for forty seven hundred? So, so, uh, you're getting some black badges. Okay. You are getting twenty inch black wheels. All right. Uh, a special or a modified front fascia, I should say. Mm-hmm. Okay. You're getting those sweet blue toe hooks in the front, of course. On the interior, it's going to be loaded up. You get the black capri leather. You're getting the nine-speaker Alpine audio. Um, but a lot of that stuff you can get on the 4 by e. It's pretty standard on the 4 by e because there's a lot of options. Yeah, yeah the they're already pretty much loaded up. So, yeah. yeah. I might be missing a few things, but those are the big highlights of it. Mm. Yeah. So. It's a collectible, Greg. It is. <laughs> oh, well, once again, I'll say it's it. It's a cheap thing. You probably don't understand. Yeah, I do not understand. I do not understand the Jeep thing. Well, the next one offers a little bit more, especially in the by way of Jeep. It is the 2023 Wrangler Willys 4xE. Mm. 
So again, still the 4xe system, but this one packs some pretty neat stuff. Uh, heavy Duda Dana 44 axles, mud <laughs> terrain tires wrapped around 17-inch wheels. Uh, with the factory lift, you get 10.1 inches of ground clearance. You also get 30 of water fording, which is really cool. Standard LED head and fog lights, rock rails, of course, special decals. I mean, where would you be right. without that? Uh, with the uh, 4xe blue surrounding them, really cool. Uh, this is going to start at uh, basically 54 grand, and hmm. then you get the uh, 1500 destination. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, yeah. Four door Wrangler only, or mm. two door? Well, I, yeah, I believe four so. Four door is yeah. only the available uh, with the four by eight. Uh, that, yeah. that is correct. Mm. Uh, yeah, they crawled that one out on stage. Looks pretty sick, but uh, yeah. So a lot of people are opting for the Willys just because it's cheaper than a Rubicon. It is. You neat. still get a lot of when I heard uh, the cool off-roading stuff. When I heard the Willys name, I was hoping it'd be closer to that uh, concept we had in the forty-one or the forty-three. Be neat. Yeah. Probably can't sell that, but hey, you know, whatever. Did they <laughs> say Willys? I just want to because I want to get over this debate oh. <laughs> because it's a constant. Whenever we say it, it's wrong. It's, it's Willys. Willis. Yes. Willys. Uh, how did, how did Jeep Willis. say it at the event? I just want to be clear. I thought they everybody. just said Willys. Right. Like every person I've talked to has said Willys. Right. And right. then the argument is that it's Willis. Right. It's. Yeah. I'm just trying to figure out which. I feel. Is which, cause I feel like I would have remembered Willis. if they said Willis because I would have been like, what? But I feel like it's so subtle. You could say it either way. You know. What I mean? Depends where you're from. Yeah, maybe. feeling that day. Maybe. And there's only a very certain amount of the population that will get offended if you say it. Against. But they're the loudest. <laughs> hey, it's the, the internet. It's the internet, man. No, there's a Willie's Jeep show in what and where I live uh, every year, and uh, maybe I should stop in there and ask him what's going on. Mm-hmm. I'll do that. Yeah, report back on that. Uh, yeah, I will do that. I'll look out for it. Moving on, Alexander, what yes. else? Yeah, so the rest of the Stellantis booth was kind of like, yeah, it's just stuff we've seen, basically. Uh, they did have the Chrysler 300C. The breaking was news the... was there that they still make the 300 <laughs> Right, that was the, yeah, surprise. Yeah. Well, this is the send-off model, so that, that, that won't be, yeah. Uh, and it's going out with a bang. It's wow. got the 6.4-liter V8 in it, which is pretty gnarly, but... Um, an odd car. Yeah. Dude, that thing was so popular, though, when that first came out. Oh, yeah. I mean, no, I know. That was mm-hmm. such I mean, you a still see a lot of them. Yeah, oh, for sure. Oh, yeah. yeah. And it's a fantastic car, really, when it came out. Well, this this is the last chance to get one. Man. All right. Maybe so, I'll do that. One, yeah. too. Uh, they had the Dodge Hornet on display, which, again, we've already talked about that uh, ad nauseum, so don't really need to worry about that. But it was cool to see in person, and they had the Daytona SRT concept, which, again, we've talked about, but it was gnarly. Mm. So I'll give it that. Gnarly. All right. Yeah. That's kind of like my buzzword now. So love it. Or hate it. I hate it. Uh, can't stop myself though. Yeah, moving on to Chevy though, they had one vehicle under the curtain and that was the Tahoe RST Performance Edition. You're going to pick up on a trend that these are things that we've seen before but just slightly different. Mm. So this, it's got the 6.2 liter V8 in it with 433 horsepower and 467 pound feet of torque. If you know your Tahoes, that is 13 more horsepower and seven pound feet of torque more mm. than the uh, current RST with the 6.2. Um, a lot of the, I guess, special accoutrements are going to come by way of suspension. So it takes a mm-hmm. lot from the pursuit-rated police Tahoe. Okay. Um, so like chassis tuning, retuned dampers, police spec springs, etc. Um, of course, you get the black SRT badge. I mean, mm-hmm. or RST badge All rather. Right. That's a lot of acronyms, man. Black uh, wheels too. Uh, yes, and you, right. the, you the, you get the, you get black the red, interior. and you get, yep, <laughs> black interior, you get the red Brembos, so you know, mm. you know it means business. Mm. Uh, this package is going to cost about, uh, just rounding down slightly, $8,500, mm. uh, and that's going to go on top of 
to my understanding, the 2023 Tahoe RST with the 6.2 four-wheel drive is starting at around $70,000. So, Yikes. you know, you're looking at about 80K, yeah, basically. Add destination in there, yeah. That's, the pr- so, that's what it takes these days, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. But did Chevy also had something else there, right? Well, they had, yeah, they had the, next to all that, they had all their electrification goodies. They had the Equinox, they had, or Equinox, Equinox EV, EV, yes. Uh-huh. Blazer EV and the Silverado EV all mm-hmm. on display. Um, so, yeah, those were pretty neat to see in person. I didn't, you know, everybody was kind of crowding around them and everything, but uh, It's the future of cool. the brand. Yeah. It is, but it is still the future. They make it sound like yes. they've been selling these things for years, but... Um, yeah, it is still the future. We're, we're not, still many, many, we're not many quite, a month yeah, away we're not from quite there even yet. seeing any one of these yeah. on the road, specifically. Yeah, I mean, outside of that, uh, a lot of the other things we saw there were just like concept vehicles. Like Lincoln had a couple concepts mm-hmm. out. Lexus had a concept out. Um, the only other reveal was after the show. It's the one I'm foaming at the mouth I know. For. I can't believe yeah. you saved it I, to the I'm end. I thought we were that. about to move on without even <laughs> talking about it. I'm like, I, did I miss this in the last I'm podcast? Sa- it's the best for last. And uh, <laughs> as much, you know, I could do a whole symposium on it, but I'll keep it as brief as possible. The 2024 Ford Mustang. Uh, so I got to see it before the show, the Ford Archives, but then they did the big reveal in Hart Plaza, the whole live stream, and I'm sure most people saw it. Seventh gen model. Um, a lot of people were asking me even before, and of course can't talk about it, now we can, uh, was electrification going to be part of the deal? It is not. I'm sure a lot of people are happy about that. The 5.0 liter Coyote V8 is returning for its fourth iteration, and the uh, 2.3 liter turbo inline four is as well. Exact horsepower figures were not given for either, at least in my press materials. They say it's going to be pushing 500 horsepower. I'd believe that. The V8 had some pretty cool changes to it. I believe it's a new oil pan, new cover, and most importantly, two separate air intakes with 80 millimeter throttle bodies, I believe. So that was pretty cool to see. They had it up on a stand for us. Got to kind of look at that. Pretty cool. Um, I don't know what changes were made to the EcoBoost, but they're saying it's going to be more powerful as well. So you got that. Six-speed manual is going to be standard. Um, They didn't say exactly which one. If I had to guess, it's still going to be the MT-82, which I know some of the Mustang people out there may be a little eh about. The uh, Tremec, which probably won't be the... It'll probably be a slightly different one from what you can get in the 350 and the Mach 1, but that's going to be for the Dark Horse Mustang, which is... Not the performance package, that's a separate thing, but this is more of a performance-geared one that will be pushing 500 horses, if not at 500 horsepower. And he gets a couple other accoutrements. Um, Everyone listening has probably already seen it, but in case you haven't, yeah, the new model. It's not a total, like, complete overhaul. Like, if you look at 2014 to 2015, going from the S197 to S550, like, that, that was a whole change this is going like from s550 to what i believe they're still calling the s650 and it's not like the name kind of gives it away it's not a complete change you look at it from the front it's very different more kind of like squared off grill EcoBoost and gt will get kind of separate fascias gt gets like a heat extractor like slotted on the hood uh going to the side profile to me they look almost identical like right. i took a picture yeah, of the nice. EcoBoost from the side and i'm like wow but it kind of looks like mine and then the rear has like a body mash deck lid panel the Tri-bar taillights are still there, but they're now concave, kind of like the 67, 68 fastback look. Um, Yeah, I mean, the exterior doesn't see too, too many changes. It's really the interior where you get the most goodies. 
Um, gone is the double hump dash, which I kind of miss, as well as, yep, as well as the flight switches, which is a gimmick, but I play with them all the time in my car. So, hey, whatever. I always hated uh, that you couldn't go both ways with yeah, the flight yeah, switches. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you can only go up with them, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Which doesn't seem intuitive at all. Yeah, it's, it's a issue. little, yeah, because if you want to go through your modes, you have to, it's like, oh, I missed it. I got to keep going, you know? No, yeah. I can't do it at all, so. Right, I know. They, okay, they that's kinda, fine with me, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's still some buttons there for you. Um, uh, but yeah, so now like standard are two very large screens. I think it's a 12 point something or other for the uh, gauges and then 13 inches for the infotainment. And that's going to be standard on all of them. So all of them are going to get to two screens, but in the higher trims, it's kind of like put together into one monolithic unit. Um, mm-hmm. But I think they're two separate displays. Okay. Yeah, they're well, heavily doesn't look nearly as good in the base level where you get the two, where it's the two yeah, yeah no. they're separated um they are super customizable they showed us uh for your gauge cluster you can actually make it look like the old fox body gauges and at night they glow green why don't and, we do this more and it, like agreed i should be able to download my gauges right we're getting to that yeah we're getting to that point for sure Pe- people asked like hey are you going to do other model years and they were like well we don't want to say anything but you so know yes. we always can so it's like yeah, yeah it's yes, like all right they they're, they're going to add more uh they yeah. said some of them were more into like the track ones were inspired by the ford gt and stuff so it was cool to see all that kind of stuff. Um, new plastics, new leathers, seat belts can match. And the only other two features I can think of off the top of my head, um, drift brake, which uh, is standard on performance package available in other models. Uh, it looks and acts like uh, like like a drift bait brake would, I guess, um, co-designed with Von Gittin Jr., so big name in the drifting scene. Um, you know, I'll be honest, opening up a can of worms here, we already have a lot of memes out there about Mustangs sliding into uh, unfortunate situations, so maybe this is not the best idea, but it also looks really cool. Dual caliber setup in the rear looks gnarly, so... Sometimes not the best ideas are actually the greatest ideas. Right, exactly. So, uh, they say... on the internet soon. They say it's a competition-ready system. Uh, how true that is, I'm mm-hmm. not sure, but I'm excited to see it in action. Last thing is remote rev, because... We can't be obnoxious enough with the cars. You can now use your key fob to rev it. So, really, just asking I, for you know <laughs> jokes at this point. Right? I mean, look, it's a gimmick, but hey, yeah. Look, man, uh, Dodge has been doing the gimmicks for a while now. Yeah, and there's um, people that yeah love to geek out with that stuff, showing off their neighbors and stuff. If I had so, it, I would use it. Yeah. I'll say it. Yeah. I mean, it's funny. It's a funny feature to yeah. me. I will joke about it. But if I had it, I would certainly use it. Mm-hmm. I agree. Well, thank you for that very comprehensive uh, it, well, look at the Detroit Auto yeah, Show. It was, it was something, yeah. Can't wait to drive that Mustang. Oh, I can't either. And now we will turn to uh, some more closer uh, to our driving future, Mercedes-Benz EQS SUV, which uh, Jessica Ray has recently driven. I have, yeah. And... Um you know, there are two EQS models now. We need to be uh, clear with this. There is an EQS sedan and there is an EQS SUV. And that is how they're being denoted. Now, badging wise on the car, they both just say EQS. Right. So, um, we'll try to make it as least confusing. It's just well, so... it makes sense. Mercedes EQ is the brand, right. much like Mercedes AMG sure. is a brand. And the S is for their full-size vehicles, whether it's a sedan or an SUV. True. So it's not that difficult. It, yeah. Well, I, I, I'm just don't. I don't give people <laughs> the benefit of the doubt. <laughs> but okay. Anyway, so as you can imagine, it it is similar in many ways to the EQS sedan, um, styling wise. It, it has that same like front 
uh, sort of very smooth look because Mercedes is pretty much only focused on like maximizing the efficiency of this car. So even though it might not be the most attractive vehicle, uh, electric vehicle out there, it is very um, like wind resistant. Which is the most attractive electric vehicle out there? Uh, Sidebar? Um, that's a good question. No, I thought you had it. No, oh, right. that's a hard one. Okay, then move on. I don't move know. Maybe think it. about it as you. <laughs> yeah, I'll, yeah, yeah. I'll think about Answer it at the end of the podcast. Um, but anyway, so um, it is very aerodynamic, and I say that because when I was driving it, I tried to compare it as much as I could to like the driving experience of a GLS. Because ideally, this is kind of where they would want their buyers to go. Like, sure. go from a GLS to an EQS. And um, it's very different. It drives much more like the EQS sedan. Um, I found that it doesn't feel quite as long. And later I learned that it is actually like 10 inches shorter than the EQS sedan. So um, when you're driving it, it sits very low. And so you... you you don't feel the um, the damping of the suspension quite as much as you would in, in something that was much taller, a much taller SUV, which the GLS is a very large, boxy SUV. And so the driving experience of the EQS was uh, really wonderful. Um, and I drove it on a lot of, like, uh, tight roads. Where was I? In Colorado. So, yeah, in Colorado, um, a lot of, like, mountain-ish roads. And it was really enjoyable, incredibly smooth. Um, there is 10 degrees of rear axle steering, and that comes standard on all of them. And that is incredibly helpful because you definitely don't feel like you're piloting something that is quite as long as it is. Um, and, I mean, I will say it, it it really impressed me. What I did find kind of interesting, though, is that there's like an economical version of the EQS SUV compared to the sedan. And so, like, um, it it starts a little bit lower. This starts at around $105,000, which I think that the EQS sedan starts somewhere around $110,000. Um, but the hyper, that hyper screen is optional. Yeah. It only comes standard on the highest trim, the 580, which is the dual motor high output one. Um, so, like, the standard EQS SUV gets the same, like, uh, screen setup that we see in the S-Class. That, like, larger, um, just the larger infotainment right. uh, in the console and then the digital dash cluster. I mean, it's still very nice, but I just, that was kind of an interesting um, thing. What kind of range are we talking about? So the 450 plus, which is a rear drive model, that can get you about 300. They're saying 305 miles of range. It's not EPA rated yet, but this is what Mercedes is saying. And then the uh, 450 and the 580, which are dual motor, they can get 285 miles. Mm -hmm. So a little less than what you can get in the sedan. Right. But a lot more weight. Um, But a lot more weight. It's bigger. Um, I will say, I mean, I haven't been in the third row because this is a three-row SUV. And so this is probably the only, other than the R1S, I think this is the only all-electric three-row SUV on the market. Oh, I should should not say that. A Tesla. Yeah. Teslas are technically model, I don't know which one. X. Has the the third row. 
Um, but so this is kind of in a class of its own. You can fit back there. It's I, I can fit back there. I don't think Greg would want to fit back there, but I don't know. Uh, I haven't been in a GLS to compare. Um, but like proportions-wise, it seemed very roomy inside. I mean, it had everything you kind of expect in a Mercedes. So, I mean, I was really impressed with it. And I really liked it because I really liked the sedan. So I think they translated it really, really well in their SUV, which, I mean, is unsurprising. Yeah, I mean, it looks fantastic. I'm sure it does drive great. Um, Hopefully they'll have some more entry-level EVs coming here soon. They are coming. I mean, they've been in Europe for a while now. I saw something that I'm not allowed to talk about. Okay. Um, But there are more models coming. I also drove the EQE sedan. Okay. So ideally, there's going to be an, an eventual EQE SUV. Right. Um, and then they have this weird thing where they have the EQB, right. which is built not on the this EQ platform. It's built on the GLB's platform. Right. So it drives completely differently, looks completely different. And then, I don't know if you remember, we were supposed to originally get the EQC, right. which is also built on the GLC's platform. It's very very similar to the whole EQB situation, but Europe is only getting that. We're right. not getting that. So I don't know how they're going to do like a flip because ideally you're just going to want to change the EQC and the EQB eventually to this new all-electric platform that they're using because, you know, the uh, ICE platforms that they have are just not optimized for it. So they will come, the entry level will come, um, it's just a matter of when, but I mean, they're launching, uh, this, this should be in dealers by this fall. So I imagine within the next two years, we're going to see a lot more of these EQ models kind of, uh, hitting, hitting the dealers. So, yeah, we shall see mm-hmm. anybody questions or comments. I'm confused. Okay. There's just, so, no, it's, it's nothing we can fix here. There's no. just, there's just so many see, letters being thrown at me. This is my problem with the EQ, right? It's just, uh, I hate that it's called the EQ, EQS SUV. I think that's mm. terrible. And then that's what so we're what do you think it. about the GMC Hummer EV pickup I and the GMC it. Hummer EV SUV? Do you feel the same way about that? Mm. I don't like it personally. No. But I, think I don't feel I the same. About, I'm going at this as like uh, specifically EQS SUV having two S's next. This is like a right. Oh, okay. I'm, like an, I'm, I'm looking at it as okay. like someone as an editor. Okay. You know? uh, and I won't comment any further because so like we could have a whole separate podcast say, about things yeah. like this. He, he won't have me. an issue with the EQE SUV. I lo- here's the thing. I I love the Hummer pickup truck so much that I can't hate anything about it. So <laughs> we can get into that in another podcast. All right. Well, uh, since we're uh, talking to you already, Greg, how about you fill us in on another EV and uh, that you've driven recently? Hopefully you are on board with the naming situation. Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> there, uh, oh, no, this one's a little like better. Lucid. So, like, you think of like the Lucid Air. So, it's the Air is the model, Lucid is the brand, and then there's uh, we had this was an owner's car. We didn't get this from uh, Lucid like we traditionally get press cars. Um, but this one was the Dream, and it dream was the edition. Dream Edition. It was the Dream yeah. Edition. Yeah, it's Lucid dream. Air Dream. Perform- edition. Oh, it wasn't edition. performance. Dream, no, dream edition, edition performance. Dream and edition performance. Dream edition range. 
Yeah. Which is a different model. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> that I just drive the car. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so people like show up at the track and drive the car. Okay, um, so this one that all adds up to one thousand one hundred eleven horsepower. Nice, nice. Uh, and I'll say that one more time: one thousand one hundred eleven horsepower, coming from an all-electric vehicle. Um, Range is 471 miles. If you go for not the performance version, but, but you range. go for the range version, yeah. this is yet another version, you get over 500 miles. It's insane. That's the big deal. Like when that news broke, I mean, that was when we had been talking about it on podcasts, like what's the, the, the next benchmark, 500 miles? Well, that's been broken. Um, the downside of that is it's by Lucid, and it's not like a major manufacturer. We're not going to see a lot of these things on the road. I've never even seen one until we had this one in. Um, and looking at it, it I kind of compare it to the EQS sedan. <laughs> <laughs> it's like not like to me like classically good looking. They went like futuristic. It's very aerodynamic. Mm -hmm. I think the the spectacular part part is once you get inside and you have that Tesla Model X type windshield mm -hmm. where it basically goes from the windshield from the cow all the way up over your head to, into like basically a sunroof. And like I, I got in this thing and like it was, it took me a minute to kind of catch my bearings of like, mm -hmm. wow, this is crazy. I looked up and like I half expected Tom Cruise to be flipping me the bird. <laughs> uh, that's a Top Gun reference if anybody's unsure. Go back, go and watch Top Gun if you haven't. And even if you have, go watch Top Gun. Um, so no, yeah, really cool inside. Go ahead. Say, if you look up, it's so strange to see how the... Uh, the sun visors are mounted. Yeah, like that, just to the glass. And you have to it's have so them, but odd. it's like if, if you could do without sun visors, it'd be great because it, the, the sun visors also take away from like the aesthetic yeah. of yeah. it. Uh, but you know, we need sun visors. Mm -hmm. uh, anyway. All kinds of cool technology inside. You have that lower screen where you control basically everything: um, climate control, radio, mirrors, steering wheel. Steering wheel, which I really that annoys me, having to go through. But again, this is one of those journalist complaints. If you have this car, you're going to have your own profile and knows who you are. Everything's set up perfectly. Um, the the um, the gauge screen. Maybe somebody else uh, can confirm. Is that taken out of a Taycan? Because that is like literally the same exact curved gauge, hmm. hoodless gauge screen. Did not know that. It yeah. looks very similar. If it's not taken from the Taycan, um, it is. It's very similar Inspired, looking. But maybe. it's it's a good. And I don't knock it. I'm just saying it's mm -hmm. that's where I've seen it before. Um, but on the road, it's just like. Uh, me and uh, Dave Scrivener were talking about it, and we both use the word pleasant. It's a very pleasant car to drive, and you have various drive modes, and they do make a big difference going between, like, the, the high sports setting to just, like, comfort mode. I mean, there's a big difference in the way the throttle reacts to, um, to inputs, but keeping it in normal mode, I mean, it's just a very luxurious experience. Minus, uh, in this specific owner's car, there were some uh, kind of squeaks and rattles. Mm. Hard to say. I don't know how long the guys owned it. Um, maybe it was um, an isolated issue. Mm -hmm. uh, there were definitely 
excuse me, squeaks and rattles, uh, especially from the steering wheel. Um, but I, the reason I bring that up is because we've seen issues with Tesla and other independent mm -hmm. automakers. They have issues with this. Seen it with Fisker. There are just things that we take for granted in major or like highly manufactured vehicles, highly or high number, high volume is mm -hmm. what I'm looking for. Hey, good word. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, so if you can put up with some of that stuff, like I said, a very, very nice drive experience. But we took it to uh, Mason-Dixon to get the performance numbers. The owner was really excited about that. Uh, I personally did them. And uh, 0 to 60 in 2.6 seconds. Beautiful. Uh, which is very fast, very, very fast. And it is more, to me, was more visceral than other EVs. I don't know what it was. Like, clearly that's fast. Um, but it was just something about how it was delivered uh, that was very exhilarating to, to do that over and over again. And it was super consistent. I mean, probably like 10 times in a row, 2.6, 2.6, 2.6. And then the quarter mile was the same thing, 10.5. And, and this is like really the special part was at 133 miles per hour, mm. which That's... EVs are generally quick, but not necessarily fast. Uh, a trap speed at 133 in an EV is fast. Yeah. That's an accomplishment. I mean, I think a lot of manufacturers limit right uh, the top speed i think i think for mercedes i think their eqs models can only well the suv can only go 130 and i think at most maybe like the amg can eqs can go like 155 yeah and a lot of them don't like to deliver you that full power right for the full quarter mile they start reeling in power once you get rolling i will say at 100 miles per hour there was a noticeable drop off in torque mm -hmm. but i mean it's still pulled all the way down the track mm -hmm. so that was exciting um took it through the cones um not too hard because i didn't want to chew up the guy's tires <laughs> i think they're pirellis um either way um shockingly uh, no pun intended. I don't like puns. Uh, That's fine. Alex. <laughs> Keep that in mind. Uh, sorry. Spins. Um, so, yeah, anyway, uh, it was surprisingly quick. The steering, um, like basically every other luxury car we drive now, is like so uh, numb. It's It shocks you when you turn in and like it's so quick. Uh, really not much body roll. Like uh for like a 5200 pound car it didn't roll nearly as much as you'd expect it to but that's kind of where we are people are so good at developing chassis suspensions um so yeah i won't get too much into that because i quite honestly didn't push it as hard as i normally would other what, cars and what's the price tag um that what it would uh, so that dream uh, edition goes for 170 170 yeah but that's so. not the starting um, they do have lower models, yeah. So, and I don't well, think the they've pure, even started building them yet. Yeah, that one's going to be the entry level, and that's going to be like 80. 80. Yeah, and 85. I think the, like, if you think about, like, specs-wise, that'll have, like, an 82-kilowatt-hour battery compared to this, which is I, I believe is a 110-kilowatt-hour battery, or close to that. Uh, maybe one one oh eight somewhere around Some there. up there yeah um, but yeah so a significantly smaller battery obviously the Tesla Model S is its main competitor mm -hmm. I mean I I I'm like, I guess you could throw the Mercedes in there but really it's more about um, these American built uh, ones mm -hmm. uh, which one would you uh, buy Greg um, recency bias I'd go Lucid just okay. because. Um, it really was on the street, just a very nice car to drive. And I haven't driven a, a Model S in a while. Um, but I think Model S's are becoming so 
just they're everywhere mm-hmm. uh you never see lucid so ex- exclusivity um is, I, I think you're getting that for you know one hundred and seventy thousand dollars here like an older platform the model s platform is yeah i mean and it's it's the interior definitely goes to lucid oh, i mean absolutely. that's hands yeah. down it goes yeah. to lucid um yeah so that all right there's my answer yeah. <laughs> any other lucid comments before we move on to our lightning round no i just think it's a beautiful car did you really? I do. Uh, I, I mean, I don't know. I look at the EQS about compared oh, to the Lucid. I mean, I'm I not saying it's, it's horrible, be- I but I, I wouldn't say beautiful. beautiful. Yeah. I, agree. I mean, I thought the front was a its least attractive angle. The profile was good. I'm not sure about the trunk. It's got like a clamshell, yeah. weird mm. muscle back trunk. Uh I was, was just kind of happy that we didn't have like a bland one. Like we, the Dream Edition uh, comes in kind of like this beigey. Uh, was that tan not color. beige? What did we have? No, yeah, that's I don't not know. What I'm saying no. I'm saying a bland color like white yeah. or oh. like black. It looks. I don't think the Lucid looks good in black. I've seen one in black, but at least we had one with a little bit of dimension. Like, uh, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> All right. Well, let's move on to this trending automotive topic. Yeah. Um. Organizers have confirmed that the Detroit Auto Show will return once again in September 2023. With this year's show being a bit lackluster in reveals. Hey, these are not my words, folks. I'm just reading the paper. (laughs) How important do you think the North American International Auto Show is in comparison to other auto shows? Uh, well, you have 30 seconds. We'll start with you, Alex, since you're the only one that's been there recently. So, Go. Wow. Okay. I think on a national scale, I think it'll still have some importance, especially for the more localized like automakers there. But I mean, clearly evident by this year's show, basically no international presence or very little and all that. So I think the bigger shows like New York and LA and stuff will still obviously draw them in. Detroit maybe will just be on a national scale important for these kind of reveals, but not, you know, nothing crazy. I mean, so. it's an important location yeah. specifically because uh, so many American brands are headquartered there. Um, but yeah, I think it was just a bit disappointing, I think, overall. I, I mean, I think everyone was a bit disappointed. They were just expecting a little bit more, and we didn't get much. And then also, some people, they were revealing stuff before they even got to the show. Yeah. Like, I hate when they do that, you know? Kind of was like, why? That's been the trend for a while, just so they get all the get all the publicity while they can. Greg? Yeah, I mean, we've been transitioning to this whole um, like lackluster show thing for a while, um, but it's still good for the consumer, so I think it uh, holds value there, especially when you go to Detroit. I mean, the amount of American vehicles there is just astounding compared to where I've experienced in the rest of the country, where there's a lot more... Uh, diverse uh, diversity in the in the cars um it, it the proof's in the pudding i mean like we're, the international or the north american international auto show came back after covid and like it was lackluster mm-hmm. because everybody's focused on like you said jess new york and i think la is the premier yeah, I show think LA too. and i and it's a good show uh for obvious reasons out there in la they get all kinds of star power around their cars uh it's a nice location uh, but to me, I think, uh, yeah, that uh, L.A. has pretty much taken over as the, the premier show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was a trend pre-COVID for a few years, like we were talking about, less and less actual reveals happening there, uh, more of it happening off-site places. And then COVID happened, which, you know, kind of was the final blow. So I'm not sure. I was going to say, we talked about it a little bit, I think, on some of our 
a podcast like what what's going to happen now to auto shows right. with co- went very early on yeah but as greg as uh wisely mentioned uh, although we don't get a whole lot of uh, news out of them, they are huge uh, for consumers to go there. You know, we take for granted that we get to see and get in all these cars. Um, most people don't, but here's a great opportunity where you can. And they're the, get just to there, see sitting there for people yeah. to get in yeah, and experience. Yeah. Steel so. gear shift knobs. Yeah, if, you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. if you're not in the media, yeah. you should definitely check them out. Uh, so, yeah, I think it will always have a place, whether, you know, whether they'll be the place for us to get big news. Uh, I'm not sure that that time has probably passed. And time to move on to our viewer question from Russ. Very good one, I might add. Uh, Russ asks, why do EV charging stations never have canopies? Safety? It seems like a pain in bad weather. I mean, he's right. It is kind of annoying when it's raining outside. Um, the, The answer is that I think they just don't. They just decided not to build these little little individual stations with a canopy above them. And then now I think we've seen a lot of charging stations fleshed out. Um, and there are some out, out west that are huge that are like, I don't know, 20 plus chargers. And they have like a larger gas station like canopy to them. Um, but Russ is kind of right. I would rather I would much rather have a canopy. Yeah, it depends where you are. You know, we're definitely in that transition phase. And I think most of the EV stations in our area, they're not even really stations. Uh, they're just chargers put up in a parking lot somewhere, wherever it was convenient or whether they had space. Uh, they're not really building uh, structures for them. But I think it's certainly coming in the future. Anybody would, else? We were talking off air about your idea. I want to hear oh. it, unless you don't want to give it out to people. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, okay, I, yeah, yeah. it wasn't necessarily my idea, but I'm just saying it would be nice. You know, we think of rest areas and to have like a multi-level thing where the first floor, you know, we have multiple charging stations. And then the second floor would be like some shops or some restaurants, some places you could hang out for an hour uh, while your vehicle's charging. Have those along um, rest areas, much uh, like we have on the interstates now, I think would be awesome. I think we'll get to something like that. The time, I'm I'm sure we'll bring the time down, but it's still going to require vehicles to sit still for a while. Mm-hmm. It's never going to be as quick as filling up a gas. Correct. Tank. So, yeah, the more we can get people to do during that time. I know I've traveled some uh, with EVs and charged on the road. And, uh, yeah, if there's something you can do while you're waiting, that's awesome. If you got to sit there and play on your phone for 45 minutes, that's not as awesome. True. I, <laughs> back to the question, it's, um, does anybody else feel weird plugging in when it's raining? A yeah. little bit, yeah. Like you're, you're at a D.C. fast charging station and there's water dripping down. You're uh, about to charge your electric vehicle into a major charging station. <laughs> It just and nothing has ever happened. I'm right. not. I'm not saying it, it does or it's an issue, but I'd be lying if I huh. said I didn't have that thought in the back of my head. Yeah, so I've heard other maybe people putting a little canopy over top would make some people has it more hesitant people feel better about these things. Yeah, but it's clear that when you plug them in, especially the high speed ones, there's not current going through it. You know, you have to wait, then you turn the pump, they make, they talk to each other, the vehicle, and then it begins sending current through. Hey, I I hear you, man. It just goes against, I think it just goes against everything we've ever learned about I know, but, yeah, when people say things like that, I'll be like, you remember, you're driving around, 
in a vehicle with 15 gallons of gas in it that you manually put in there once a week, which is the equivalent to like 15 sticks of dynamite. So it's like you've become very comfortable uh, with that. So it's just a matter of getting comfortable with it. Great. Now I have that thought. Yeah, there you go. Awesome. It's like you get on the highway and it's like a truck carrying all the like trees, all the timber, and you're like, ah, final destination. Great. Oh, I think about that all the time. Like if you're behind somebody that like, I don't know, if something snapped, it would just just fall right into you while you're both driving like 70 miles an hour on 695. Yeah, I think about that sometimes. It's a dangerous place out there, folks. Buckle up. I'm scared. (laughs) Anyone have a rant or a rave? Good question. Jess has been really ranting. I know. Right? <laughs> I feel like I she's was, got something. She's always got something. No, I to was trying her. to find a rave, like oh, a really right, good yeah. rave. Oh, this is kind of Hummer a rave. Hummer EV, right? Breaking <laughs> This is kind of a rave, um, but it's also a PSA, maybe at the same oh, time. Oh, very good. Because in Maryland, we just uh, they a new law went into effect, an expanded law for our move over. Uh, but here, okay, I got a little bit more into this. Okay, speak, Robinson. okay. So because before it was like you have to move over if there's emergency vehicles. No, yeah, you're talking about moving from the right lane to the left lane or when versa. there's yeah when there's a disabled vehicle or police car on the shoulder. right. You're not talking about like in traffic you have to move. No. right. We're talking about a road hazard on the shoulder moving over yes. and slowing down. Yes. Previously right. in Maryland, yes. it only was with uh, emergency vehicles or like you know like officials. Right. Mm-hmm. Whatever. Now it's expanded to anybody who is off on the side of the road who is in like a emergency situation so like a car that has its hazards on right and i so i i'm raving about this because i'm excited for people to really start doing this more for everyone because i always thought it should be done for everyone you i've always slowed down or moved over on a lane if i saw somebody like actively on the shoulder um like in distress because that's just the safest option and also keep in mind it's move over or slow down right you don't have to you sh- you should be doing both but if you can't move over you must slow down right. anyway as a person who was um my jeep was on the side of the beltway la- like two weeks ago is that a jeep thing i wouldn't understand it was oh a jeep thing you, you really wouldn't of course understand. it was on the side of the road it but. was on the side of the beltway and the ma- and this is before the expanded law was passed, so technically none of what these people so were people doing was illegal. So people just drove by at speed, laughing at you. Basically, I don't have to move over. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, and like the amount of like dangerous maneuvers people were making, like right near my vehicle that was off, and I was pulled off pretty well on the side, and I was also out of the car because it was so hot, I couldn't sit in the car. So I was, I was, um, it was like me, the vehicle. <laughs> And then the rest of the giant highway. So, like, I felt like I was in the safest position using the vehicle to block me. But anyway, so my rave is is that law. Like, I think it's such an important thing. And I think so many more people need to be cognizant of it because there are a lot of deaths that way, whether it's from res- emergency responders or just people on the side of the road, like, who can't move. Absolutely. Uh, there's been a couple of deaths just here in our area on very similar situations, uh, people associated uh, with our station. And uh, it is an incredibly dangerous situation, but I'm somewhat skeptical in that 
no one really, well, I shouldn't say no one, very few people followed the law that we did have, yeah. uh, having seen that happen multiple times. But you, first responders and police officers will tell you that's one of the most dangerous situations they ever find themselves in is pulling people over in the middle of the night and, uh, yeah, on the long side of a highway or, you know, stopping for someone who's in distress on the long side and then, you know, being confronted with that, yeah cars constantly uh, buzzing right by you at 70 miles an hour and we've all seen the videos of uh, all what can go wrong so by all means please uh, move over and slow down think about uh, the people alongside of the road yeah so that's my rave I don't know if anybody has a rant people telling me what to do (laughs) (laughs) this used to be a free country as I remember (laughs) I'm totally Greg, give you. a rant. Come on. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm right. I think we're good for this week. We'll uh, save Greg's rant for next time. Uh, I'd like to thank our audio engineer, Jillian Cookman, podcast producer, Jessica Ray, podcast creator, uh, Bob Mixter. Be sure to uh, follow us and like us in all the usual places. And I uh, appreciate you watching and tuning in to Motor Week. You've been listening to the podcast of Motor Week, television's original automotive magazine. Motor Week is made possible by Lucas Oil and TireRack.com. For additional information on podcasts, videos, and showtimes, visit our website at MotorWeek.org. And watch Motor Week, television's longest-running automotive magazine series, each week on your local PBS station. 